0: midtown detroit studios of wdet
1: this is detroit today fewer than two weeks to go before election day and the gubernatorial race here in michigan is heating up polls say the gap between governor gretchen whitmer and her challenger peter dixon is closing and the two held their final debate yesterday in suburban Detroit we're going to talk about the issues that are framing the race with Craig Mauger of the Detroit News and we'll be joined by Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist who will break down the race as he sees it that's next on Detroit Today but first the news from NPR To Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Did you catch the last debate last night between Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Republican nominee Tudor Dixon? Boy, there was a lot of anger exchanged during that debate, a lot of competing ideas, but No question, this is a real race, and both candidates are trying their best to put their best forward for voters to get their votes. Republican nominee Dixon says crime is too high, that prices are rising too quickly, and that our K-12 education system is too poor. The former conservative news host and businesswoman wants to ramp up police recruitment. She wants to hire more armed security for schools. And she wants to institute stronger voter ID laws. Dixon also denies the validity of the 2020 presidential election, something we are going to talk about a little later when we are joined by Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, who's going to talk about this race to reelect Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Whitmer, by contrast, is running on ensuring abortion protections. She is talking about securing democracy and trying to get more of her agenda Past in her first four years, she's had a Republican legislature to deal with that's made some of the things that she wants to do kind of hard to accomplish. The legislature prevented, for instance, a tax hike to increase funding to fix the roads. It stopped her from repealing right-to-work laws, and it also prevented her from raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars. But there have been important compromises as well. Whitmer helped expand money for child care, increase reading tutors in schools, and create tuition-free community college programs. Both candidates, again, are putting their best forward right now as we get down to the last few weeks of the campaign, trying to convince voters to cast their ballots in their favor. And that's where we begin the conversation today with the governor's race, where it stands, where it is headed, and where we will be on Election Day. As I said, in a little bit, we are going to hear from Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, about why he believes Governor Whitmer should be reelected for another four years in office. But first, I want to talk with somebody who has been covering all of this, including the debate last night. Craig Mauger is a reporter who covers state government and politics for the Detroit News and has been all over this election. Craig, welcome back to Detroit Today.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Thirteen days to go. Thirteen days. That's right. I remember, uh, as for my the many years that I was a reporter who had to cover all of this, that that last two weeks is just uh, it's brutal, and then you have to take a month off or so to to, to recover. Uh, so good luck with that. But um, let's start with let's start with this. Uh, I want to know what you made of the debate last night. I spent a lot of Last evening and this morning, kind of scrolling through Twitter to see people's reactions. Not a big surprise. People who are fans of Tudor Dixon thought she did extremely well. Uh, fans of the governor thought she did better. So, uh, how did you how did you make uh, uh, or what did you make of of this uh, this competition?
2: I think you're spot on there. I think both candidates gave their supporters reasons to be excited and optimistic going into the final days of this race. I mean, Tudor Dixon is a first time candidate, but for two years, she's been preparing to make all these arguments against Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer. These debates, the two that we have had, have focused essentially on core issues of the race. And we haven't had a lot of surprise off the wall questions. So it's not surprising that both of them have been pretty on top of these questions, have had their talking points ready to go. I think one of the most interesting things from last, night, last night's debate was how it compared to the first debate. Governor Whitmer was much more on the attack last night. She uh, directly criticized Tudor Dixon repeatedly, and I think that's a sign that you know, this race m- may not be as close as some of the Republicans say it is right now, but it is tightening them. I and I was just talking to someone on the phone earlier. There's a difference between tight. And tightening mm-hmm. and, and I think the race is tightening right now, but I think Governor Whitmer still has a lead at this moment.
1: Yeah. So so catch us up a little on Tudor Dixon. I mean, that's a name that has of course become really familiar in Michigan because she is the Republican nominee, but she's relatively new to the political scene. Talk about her background uh, and how she won the nomination. I mean, we know that former President Donald Trump endorsed her late, but but I I think she was doing really well uh, before that. What is it that's powering her ideas in her campaign?
2: Yeah, Tudor Dixon is a former political commentator. She worked for her father's steel business before getting into conservative media. In the primary i mean she got into this race early and right off the bat she had the support of some key gop insiders she is getting some help from gop consultants who are close to former president trump in florida they've been helping her throughout all of this she was powered to victory in the primary because republican voters thought she would be the best person to make the case against governor whitmer i mean that is the fact and people groups, interest groups, donors started lining up behind her in the primary because they bought into the idea that of all the candidates, Tudor Dixon is the person that we want on the debate stage, standing next to Governor Whitmer, making our party's uh, platform visible to the state. And and that's where we are now. I mean, this, this is why Republicans selected her, because they wanted her in this moment when the bright lights are on and people are watching her they want the contrast of Tudor Dixon versus Gretchen Whitmer, and then that's what we saw last night. Hmm.
1: And, and so if you're Governor Whitmer, uh, what's your, what's your strategy to match someone who, look, has a fair amount of dynamism, um, you know and, and is a, an appealing kind of candidate. What, what's the governor's strategy looked like so far? and what did it look like last night?
2: Yeah, I think the governor's strategy has changed a little bit. I mean, in fact, I asked her about this after the debate last night. I said, did you change your strategy? And she fired back at me. Do you think I changed my strategy? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it seemed quite different. I mean, I think she's trying to tout her bipartisan record. You heard it in her closing argument. I thought that was a really, really telling moment at the end. She said, I want to thank the Republicans and independents who are supporting me. She is trying to... Uh, promote herself as the consensus candidate, um, trying to uh, paint Tudor Dixon as someone who is unreasonable, who buys into conspiracy theories, and who, this is not painting her, she has questioned and, and said the 2020 election was fraudulent. There is no proof of that. There is no proof that the election was somehow stolen from Donald Trump, as Tudor Dixon has indicated in her past comments. And you know, Governor Whitmer is saying, I've worked with, across the aisle with Republicans to accomplish things. She's had to because the Republicans control the state legislature. And she, this is how she's making her closing, closing arguments to voters, I guess. I, I I am the bipartisan candidate, she's saying, and, and Tudor Dixon won't be able to do that. Yeah. Uh,
1: we're talking with Craig Mauger. He is a reporter for the Detroit News who covers state government and politics. We're talking about the gubernatorial race here in Michigan between incumbent governor Gretchen Whitmer and the challenger, Tudor Dixon, who is a former uh, commentator and businesswoman, Uh, they had the last of uh, their debates last night here in suburban Detroit. It was broadcast on WXYZ, Channel 7 here in Detroit. Give us a call and let us know, did you watch the debate last night? Have you watched the other Well, did you watch the the one other debate that the two candidates have had? Uh, Are you paying attention to this race and trying to make up your mind about who you might cast your ballot for? Uh, What do you make of this race for governor? What issues? are important to you, uh, and which of the candidates so far seems to be making the best case for themselves. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can try to work you into the conversation that way. Okay, Craig, we've got lots of sound from last night, and I want to get to some of it and and just get your reaction to the way and the differences uh, that the candidates uh, responded to to these issues that that are on the table here. I want to start with uh, abortion and first hear from Governor Whitmer.
3: We have an opportunity to enshrine Roe into law by supporting ballot initiative Now, the other side will say all sorts of wild-eyed things that are not true. Parental rights and consent will still be effective. We know that regulations will still be in effect.
1: Okay, that was Governor Whitmer explaining her support for Proposal 3, which is uh, also on the ballot November 8th. It would enshrine abortion rights in the Constitution. Let's hear what uh, her challenger, Tudor Dixon, has to say about it.
3: Proposal three allows abortion up to the moment of birth for any reason, including sex selection.
1: Okay, much shorter, uh, but much more pointed uh, about it. Uh, Craig, first, let's let's uh, play uh, uh, truth sayer here a bit with uh, with with both comments. Uh, who's telling the truth about what this will do?
2: Huh, I mean, there were a lot of statements made about <laughs> Proposal three last night, yes, there and were. I would hate to endorse <laughs> anyone's position on all of them but i mean this at the end of the day this proposed constitutional amendment is largely focused on enshrining abortion i mean excuse me abortion rights into the into the state's constitution the other side is raising questions about some of the language in this very lengthy proposal and what the repercussions of that language will be And for anyone to say specifically, I know exactly how this is all going to turn out, if it's approved and what will happen, it's difficult to say because uh, the courts are going to play a role in this. There will be legal questions that have to be figured out. I mean, both both sides acknowledge this. And I mean, I think both candidates had points last night that were accurate about this proposal. I think they laid out kind of the two sides of this. Uh, pretty accurately and fairly. And, you know, it's always been with proposal three. One side is is making this a referendum on uh, the Dobbs decision, and the other side is trying to make it more than that. And whoever makes the better argument, whoever convinces voters of the case they're making is going to be the one that wins
1: yeah um let's talk a little about proposal three and the attention that it's getting and the effect it could have on the, the the gubernatorial race as you point out, proposal three's main purpose is to enshrine abortion rights in the Constitution and and there therefore make them unassailable through legislative, uh, efforts which which we would certainly see here in Michigan uh, we should remind people that uh, we have a, a pretty conservative legislature that would like to uh, to outlaw abortion um but but the opposition to it talks about it not in terms of uh, whether you support abortion rights or not but but how far it goes and I think that's what what Tudor Dixon was getting to in this in this clip, she says it allows abortion up to the moment of birth for any reason, including sex selection. Um, uh, that has gotten some people to, to to pause. I think Craig and I've heard a lot of people ask questions about. What the proposal would actually do, and and some people express concerns uh, that the polls on on that measure also show that the gap is narrowing. I wouldn't describe it as narrow still, but um, but the the support for it is is coming down. Talk about the the role that that debate could end up playing in in these other races, including the governor's race.
2: Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. First, I would encourage people. I mean, there, there is this idea. That some groups float that these policy decisions are over the heads of regular voters you can go on the website of the board of state canvassers you can look at this language yourself and I I think this language is plain enough that you can read it and make a decision based on your knowledge I don't think you have to be a lawyer to make a make a a statement on whether you think this is something that you agree with or not Um, to the other question that you asked Uh, this is going to impact races up and down the ballot. I think Proposal 3, being on the ballot, is in some ways going to help Republicans. I mean, you are seeing churches across this state activate or try to activate their membership to get involved in this election, to go out and vote against this. The Republican Party right now is severely underfunded, they don't have the organization that the Democratic Party has had. And and I think my theory of this is that these churches' activities are serving as an organizing uh, base to replace what the Republican Party would normally have. So I think it, it, that from that point alone, that's going to provide some aid to the GOP. Proposal 3 being on the ballot also helps Democrats. I mean, it's giving them something to organize around the Governor Gretchen Whitmer's campaign ads and the ads from the Democratic Governors Association are focusing on abortion and in attacking Tudor Dixon's position that abortion should be banned even in cases of rape and incest. So I mean both sides I think have used this issue to help themselves going into going into the election. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone's call and tell us, did you watch last night's gubernatorial debate? Uh, what are you thinking about the gubernatorial race? What issues kind of jump out to you as the most important ones and the ones that you want to make sure you know where the candidates stand before you cast your ballot? Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. we got a lot of uh, social media comments I want to Put into the conversation here. Anthony says, whole lot of mediocrity for one stage. I can find singular issues to agree or disagree with either candidate, but there was no candidate for me up there. Uh, Shmi on Twitter says, education. I know the governor says the schools have had increased funds, but we don't see it. On the ground level, 30-plus kids to a class in some schools, special needs kids being moved around like chess pieces because Detroit public schools lack special needs classrooms. Really important uh, info there uh, from Shmi. Ed on Twitter says the governor didn't order children to do online schooling in 2021. She only ordered three-month 2020 clothes during the lockdown Uh, Check. Uh, he's pointing to uh, an article by Bridge Michigan that uh, fact-checks the Mm. debate. Uh, You should take a look at that, uh, listeners, as well. Good info there. Um, uh, Marie on Twitter says, Debates are performance art, but what they say matters, not how they say it. Uh, Let's go to Michelle in Farmington Hills. Michelle, welcome to the show. Good
4: morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Go ahead yes yeah, so i didn't watch the debate last night but i have already made up my mind uh some time ago hmm. i have been an active supporter of the democratic party i have volunteered and am volunteering uh this this season and and working election day and i'm in complete support of gretchen whitmer and her agenda and the job that she has done under some extreme circumstances and a republican Uh, led legislature. And I think we all need to be looking at performance um, and her performance against some unprecedented uh, events like COVID and that legislature. And frankly, uh, Tudor Dixon, with this conspiracy theory about the election being stolen and being supported by Trump, uh, does not in any way have me having any grace of support for her on anything. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Michelle, I I appreciate the call and that uh, perspective. I want to add uh, another kind of similar perspective to to uh, to the conversation, Jeff on Twitter says, we turned in our absentee ballots long ago, so we didn't watch the debate. Curious, though, if there were any questions about climate change. Uh, Craig, talk about the, the, the influence of early voting on this race. Uh, this is a debate that took place 14 days before the election, and, and without a question, there are a lot of people who have not just already made up their minds, but already cast their ballots.
2: Yeah, I mean, it seems very likely, you know, in the next couple of days, we'll hit the million mark for for ballots cast through absentee voting. That's a huge number. I mean, absentee ballots have become an increasingly large fixture of our elections in Michigan. You know, it appears, as was the case in 2020, Democrats have an edge in the absentee voting. Their party supporters are more likely to vote. Release through an absentee ballot than Republicans. So the more and more voters that they can lock in ahead of election day, that's a benefit to the Democrats. And then it's up to the Republicans to try to get a massive turnout on election day. Does that make the debate have a a waning impact on elections because of how late they occurred? It's possible. I mean, right now, a lot of voters have already made up their minds. We know that. I mean, the polling shows that Uh, there's probably, you know, somewhere between one percent and 10%, 10% 10%, 10% is probably pretty high at this point, but of voters who who are undecided. And, and those voters, these two sides are fighting over. The polling has consistently shown Gretchen Whitmer around the 49% mark. Mm-hmm. Tudor Dixon has to find a way in order to win this election to probably convince some of those Whitmer voters, maybe uh, one percentage point of them, maybe two percentage point of them. That's a lot of voters still. To go from Gretchen Whitmer to her That's a hard task, given the fact that people have these ingrained opinions about Governor Whitmer already.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Karen in Macomb County. Karen, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, Before I get into my
5: comments, um, I just want to let you know really quick when I called in last week, um, you had asked if um, that motivated me to get more involved in the election. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. Um, you know, with um, the Macomb County clerk hiring an election denier, um, that really just bothered me so much. And even though I have health issues, it's like I'm taking extra precautions. And if I have to triple mask, so be it. Um, you'll be happy to know I'm doing my training tomorrow night to be uh, a poll watcher. Oh, really? I just, I can't stand the thought of any of these election deniers destroying Michigan any more than what's been done. Um, I missed the first few minutes of the debate last night. Unfortunately, the previous one, I didn't see at all. Um, What I wish could have been done is if they would have had live checkers. That would have just blown up everything of Dixon's. She's dangerous. We cannot afford to have her in Michigan. We can't afford to have her anywhere in the country. And it is just downright disturbing how, you know, there's all the support for these election deniers. And I look at it this way. If you vote for an election denier, shame on you. Because you're turning a blind eye to what that dictator did to our country in the January 6th insurrection. And there's so far, there's been hardly any accountability. That dictator belongs in federal prison for the rest of his uh, life. So,
1: Karen, I I really appreciate your calling back and updating us on uh, you getting involved in the elections process, which, as you point out, we did talk about last week. and, And I I would encourage everybody who has the ability or the time to to take some time to help make elections run run smoothly. I really appreciate your perspective um as as well. Uh Craig uh really quickly before we have to break the the, the idea of election deniers running for office is something that uh, that does confound the process and it's confounding I think uh Secretary of State uh, Jocelyn Benson in terms of how to how to manage elections and clerks. uh, Just quickly talk about that dynamic in the races.
2: I mean, it's a huge dynamic. I mean, these midterm elections usually during the president's first term go against the party who's in power in the White House. So you would expect Democrats to have a pretty bad year normally. In this 2022 campaign, that's not the case. And and it's likely partly because of of voters reacting to what they saw on January 6th. And some of these candidates that have been put forward have have staked out extremely uh, out there positions on the last election Mm. and also because of abortion rights. I mean, those are two issues that are impacting this race, helping Democrats keep this very competitive in a battleground state where you would expect them to be struggling in a year like this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break And when we come back We'll continue this conversation About the gubernatorial race And we will welcome an important voice To that conversation Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist Will join us next So we're going to keep Craig Mogger Of the Detroit News as well Also want to continue to hear from you On the phones and on social 313-577-1019 is the number here That's 313-577-1019 You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the gubernatorial race, which is in its final two weeks as we get closer and closer to November 8th. Uh, We have Craig Margaret with us. He is a reporter at the Detroit News who covers politics and has been covering the campaign. I also want to welcome another really important voice to Uh, the conversation. Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist uh, is with us now. Uh, Garland, welcome back to Detroit Today.
0: Thank you, Stephen. Always good to be here with your listeners. And hello, Craig. Good morning.
1: Hey. So uh, let's start here. Uh, Make the case, Garland, why should voters elect Governor Whitmer for another four-year term?
0: The simplest reason is that our Michigan and our vision for the future of Michigan has a place for everyone in it. And in the last four years, Governor Whitmer and I have made important investments in our people and our future, our record investments in education and expanding child care, our record investments that have put 170,000 people in Michigan on a pathway to tuition-free community college and professional skills training, the tens of thousands of jobs we've created in mobility, semiconductors, battery plants, and future of industry are all foundational elements about how we want to move the state of Michigan forward. And what you saw in the debate last night was our opponent, who had no plans for the future, had a small vision for um, who was included in Michigan's future, and only complained about the past and was backwards looking. Mm. We're ready to continue to move Michigan forward, and that's what you heard from Governor Weber tonight. and that's for the next 13 days we're going to be barnstorming the state to talk to everyone about that
1: opportunity. So so there's a lot that was on the governor's agenda when she was elected that she hadn't been able to convince the legislature, which is controlled by the other party, uh, to go along with paid family leave, uh, repealing w- right to work, for instance, increasing the minimum wage. Um, does her plan to, to, to get her agenda enacted need to change? And, and I guess what would be na- different over the next four years that would make those things perhaps more likely to happen?
0: Well, certainly one thing we hope to be different is that uh, voters across Michigan, now that we have fair drawn maps and districts for our state legislative races that people will take the opportunity to vote for a Democratic majority in the state legislature, in the state house, and the state senate. And with those uh, Democratic majorities available to us, we will have a tremendous opportunity to make even more progress because the progress we've made in the record education funding and everything has been really in the face of uh, Republican opposition. But we found ways to work together in some important areas. But there's more work to do even as I think people in our communities realize. We're we're looking forward to repealing the tax on retirement incomes and pensions. We're looking forward to tripling the earned income tax credit for working families uh, in Michigan who just are trying to make ends meet. We're looking forward to further strengthening our state's response to the climate crisis and repealing right to work and legislating a prevailing wage. And all these things are available to us um, with that work politically. At the same time, Governor Whitmer and I are always going to find ways to solve problems. That's why we've worked to you know, fix 16,000 lane miles of road and 1,200 bridges. That's why we've enacted our plan with the Michigan High-Speed Internet Office to connect every home in Michigan to the Internet over the next four years, and we've already laid the foundation for that with $250 million investment that we got um, from our congressional delegation in the Biden-Harris administration. So we're going to continue to keep our focus on the future and on the people of Michigan, and we're willing to work with anybody to help us get that done.
1: So, so one of the things that Tudor Dixon said last night uh, was that this administration hasn't done anything to help with the inflation that we're all enduring at the gas pump and at the grocery store and in lots of other places, she says, "Look, uh, she would reduce the income tax uh, as a way to 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 relieve some of some of that pain." Uh, re- respond to the accusation first, but but then tell me what the governor's plans are to to deal with inflation, which doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Let me
0: translate. Um, what she means when she says reduce the income tax, what she means is cut funding to public schools in Michigan at a time when our students need more. And the record education funding that the governor and I have delivered is about getting kids back on track. An additional $50 million for the unfinished money that parents like me, you know, my own kids are school aged and parents across Michigan are seeing these supports coming from their school districts to help kids get what they need. The governor and I have put forward plans to put money in people's pockets. We've been doing so since the pandemic, and we have a plan to end the tax on retirement Income. We proposed that four years in a row. We proposed it again earlier this year. And the Republicans in the legislature have not met us at the negotiating table. They could have come to us to make a deal on this in March, April, May, June, July, August, September or October of this year and have chosen not to do so to help retired people on fixed incomes who had their taxes raised by Republicans 10 years ago um, so they could cut taxes for wealthy people and big companies. We also plan to put people money in people's pockets through tripling the earned income tax credit. That again, we have not met at the negotiating table. We need people we can work with, uh, in Lansing people who are interested in helping get resources to people at a time when things are so expensive. It's hard, and that's why we why we call for you know a pause in the state sales tax on gas, for example, and other things that we haven't met at the table with.
1: Yeah, uh, Craig, uh, do you have questions for the governor, lieutenant governor?
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely, lieutenant governor. Tudor Dixon mentioned your name specifically last night. She is trying to kind of ward off any criticism of her stance on the 2020 election by referencing your run for city clerk in 2017. Uh, Of course, you sought a recount after you lost to the incumbent clerk, Janice Winfrey. At what point, and I should say Donald Trump did not seek a recount after the 2020 presidential election. At what point after your election did you accept the results, and how did you go about doing that publicly?
0: Well, this isn't complicated. It's such a feeble attempt for them, to, for, for her to try to say that anything is the same. She hasn't accepted the results of the 2020 election. She has not committed to accepting the results of this election. In contrast, I called for a recount. The recount finished, and at that border cameras meeting, I accepted the results of the elections. It was never in question, and so it's not. It's nowhere close to comparable. But what is also a stark contrast between us and then Tudor Dixon and the Republican Party is they are focused on making it more difficult for communities across Michigan to vote, including people who are living in poverty. Black voters in cities like Detroit and Flint and Pontiac and Saginaw. That's why they've they've introduced legislation that will make it more difficult for people to vote. And we vetoed that legislation that was based on the same big lie that Tudor Dixon believes that the election was stolen from Donald Trump in 2020. Even though that election has been audited more than 200 times, we had record voter participation And me and the governor and Democrats and people who love democracy think that's a good thing. We want more people to vote and participate in the process. And Republicans like her are afraid of that.
1: Okay, I want to I want to talk about schools and covid, which is uh, something that came up again last night. And I want to start with a couple of clips, one of the governor and one uh, of of Tudor Dixon describing uh, what happened to schools during the pandemic. Let's start with the governor.
3: The reason kids were out of school during the pandemic was because we were working off of knowledge from 1918 when kids died from the last global pandemic. As a mom, all I was thinking about was saving the lives of our kids.
1: Okay, that was the governor talking about why she did the things that she did uh, to close schools during the pandemic. Let's listen to Tudor Dixon's uh, response to that.
3: This is shocking to me that she thinks that schools were only closed for three months, or maybe she thinks she can convince you that schools were only closed for three months.
1: Okay, so Garland, uh, talk about, again, there's been a lot of uh, questions about the way that the state responded to to the pandemic, and schools, of course, uh, bore the brunt of a lot of of the measures. Um, Talk about why the decisions were made and whether it's true that schools were only closed for three months.
0: I'm a parent of school-age children, Stephen. My kids were my kids were in the last part of first grade when we had our first COVID cases. Um, I experienced having to work with my kids to to wake up and log in um, to school. It was difficult for them. It was difficult for the education professionals who supported them. That's why the governor and I worked to get money in teachers' pockets during the during the pandemic when they were still coming out of pocket to support kids' with learning. We didn't have vaccines. We had This was literally called the novel coronavirus because this was something we were understanding and learning about in real time from public health professionals. We made decisions that focused on people first and, and keeping people safe and alive and, not, and trying to reduce people contracting COVID. We were unapologetic about protecting the most vulnerable um, in our state, particularly people of color, black Michiganders who were dying at a higher rate of COVID. So our choices were about keeping people safe. and We were able to flatten those racial disparities and really try to, try to get a to handle on this pandemic. And then when we have vaccines, we worked really hard to make those available to people as, as widely and aggressively as possible so people can make the choice to get vaccinated and be able to get back um, to day-to-day life, including coming to school in person for education professionals and our kids. Uh, we're never going to apologize for keeping people safe and doing everything we can to keep people alive. Um, what, I, what is true is that Tudor Dixon, had she been governor, she would not have taken that science seriously, and people, more, more people would have died. And I have someone who lost twenty-seven people to COVID nineteen in my life. Um, that is not a Michigan that I would have wanted to live in.
1: So, so there are a lot of folks out there saying that you did all of these things and took all of these measures, and and we still had uh, a very high death rate here in Michigan. And the implication is that this didn't work. That that while you disrupted uh, schools, while you disrupted businesses, we we suffered just as badly, if not worse, uh, than than other states? How do you answer that?
0: I mean, it hit us hard. COVID hit us hard. Like I said, I felt this personally. We lost a lot of people. We updated our decisions as we learned more about COVID-19. And we are always going to continue to be responsive to the way that we understand facts on the ground and the policy changes that we made, uh, we think, are reflective of that. The, the support that we put in place for small businesses that's helped 25,000 small businesses and protected 200,000 jobs. We want to continue to build on that momentum. That's what's led to the economic recovery that we have been experiencing since COVID in terms of how our economy has grown when compared to other states in the Midwest and around the country in terms of the job creation that we've had, in terms of the new sectors that we've been able to invest in, even in the face and in the midst of the pandemic that had so many challenges. We'll also focus on how we can continue to support the smallest businesses in our community, those that may have been hit the hardest, especially those that have you know fewer than nine employees, your corner stores, your your barbershops, et cetera. Um, We've worked to make sure that state programs can support those businesses in a way that federal programs were not able to. And this is what we're going to continue to be focused on so that we can not only recover, but we can get to a better place than we were even before the COVID-19 pandemic. Hmm.
1: Okay. Uh, Craig, uh, go ahead with another question.
2: Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, you know, I, I think we understand the point that Governor Whitmer was trying to make last night when she talked about schools being closed for three months. She was trying to say she only ordered schools closed for three months. But do you have any concerns that that statement that schools were closed for three months is going to, you know, go against the lived experience of many parents across the state, that their students were out of in-person learning for many more months than three months?
0: You know, I think that the governor was describing specific state policies, but that what also the, what was clear from the governor's response is that she prioritized keeping people safe in the decisions that we made and kids safe in the choices that we made and teachers safe. who are also really nervous in the choices that we made. And we worked with local school districts to be able to make the right choices for their districts. And many districts chose to do so, including Detroit Public Schools where my kids uh, go to school still. And so I, I think that pe- what people will see and have seen from the governor is that she is absolutely responsive to what parents are experiencing. And that's why we've you know done things like created our Parent Advisory Council that has enabled parents to have an input on policymaking at the executive branch level in a way they never have been able to in the history of the state of Michigan. Um, they have a seat at our table, and they're going to have a seat at our table going forward.
1: So we've got a question from uh, Dan in Gross Point, who's uh, on the phone. We can't, uh, we can't patch him in while we have both you and, and Craig here with us, uh, Lieutenant Governor. But he's asking about resolving unemployment fraud uh, during COVID. How do, he, he wants to know how that will, will work out.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, unfortunately, there were a lot of people who chose to take advantage of a system that was designed to help people when they're having a hard time. And uh, we certainly are looking to hold the people accountable who made that uh, unfortunate choice to hurt people and harm people and take from people. Um, We also uh, recognize that the unemployment insurance system saw more pressure than it ever had been seen or was ever designed for. And so uh, we certainly appreciate the hard work that the professionals uh, did to try to resolve, to try to deal with all the claims. And we recognize there's still more work to do to make sure people are made whole who were frauded or are defrauded and and hold people accountable. So we're continuing to work through that in partnership with the U.S. Department of Labor. Um, But we're ready to continue to get that done and folks who are still having issues can still continue to reach out to our office so we can resolve them.
1: Okay. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, I know you've uh, you've got to run, but I really do appreciate you coming by to talk with us uh, about the race. Uh, good luck in the next two weeks.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Craig. And everyone, please make sure everyone in your family and your life is registered to vote and cast a ballot on them before November 8th.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to take another quick break and when we come back. We're going to continue talking about the gubernatorial race. We're going to keep uh, Craig Mauger of the Detroit News and continue to hear from you both on the phones and on Twitter where you can hashtag Detroit Today. Give us a call. 313 577 1019 is the number. That's 313 577 1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the gubernatorial race, which will wrap up on November 8th, like all the other election contests here in the state of Michigan. Uh, We saw the final debate between Governor Gretchen Whitmer and her Republican challenger, Tudor Dixon, last night here in suburban Detroit. We want to hear from you as well during the conversation here Give us a call. Let us know what you're making of this race. Uh, have you made up your mind already? Have you already voted uh, here in Michigan? Something that is now possible to do for any reason, uh, to vote early. If you decide that uh, you've made up all your decisions and ready to cast your ballot, you can do it from the comfort of your own home. You don't have to go out to uh, your polling location. Uh, give us a call and let us know how you're thinking about all of this uh, as we have 13 days left until November 8th. We've got Craig Mauger here with us. He is a reporter who covers state government and politics for the Detroit News. He has been covering the gubernatorial race. And again, we want to hear from you about uh, what you made of last night's debate and what you make of the race overall. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. Let's go to Layla in Detroit. Layla, welcome to the show.
4: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to... um, Okay, so we all um, sort of understand that Republicans uh, are more apt to, you know, want to restrict the vote. And um, we hear that a lot. um, But I don't hear a lot about why there's more of a motivation to restrict the vote on the part of Republicans and Democrats. And I wanted to suggest that part of the reason is that, you know, Democrats historically have supported more more uh, social policies, and Republicans have not. And one of the underlying reasons, I think, that Republicans want to restrict the vote is a, a pervasive stereotype of immigrants, that um, immigrants somehow come to this country to want to live off the dole, so to speak. And as an immigrant myself, and knowing many and working within immigrant communities, um, I can't say how absolutely wrong that is. And if anyone wants to restrict the vote for that reason, um, they really got to think about the stereotypes that they're, um, that they're using and really think about whether that's even true, hmm.
1: so that's all I wanted to say, uh, Leila. I I really appreciate the call and and your perspective as you know as a member of an immigrant community, and I, I think a lot of uh, people in communities like that feel similarly targeted by the Republican legislative measures, not just here in Michigan, but in in states all around the country to try to make it harder. Uh, I think that's a fair description uh, for 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 people. To vote, uh, Craig Moger, uh, we haven't talked about Prop Two, which is one of the ballot measures um, that 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 Michiganders will will see on November eighth, and probably uh, are already voting for um, early or absentee. Uh, but but it addresses this issue square on, and it is it is a pushback against some of the things that we have seen take place in in our legislature in Lansing that would uh, that would push things in a different direction when it comes to the ease of voting.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, the proposal to is a direct response, for the most part, to proposals that have been pushed in in the wake of Donald Trump's uh, claims, unproven claims of fraud in the 2020 election. I mean, one thing for voters to keep in mind here is that, you know, we all live somewhere and our voting system is the way it is in our city the voting experience and the policies in Detroit, because of the number of people who live there, because of the number of votes cast there, are completely different than someone who might live in the UP and the way the election operates there. I mean, and that's one of the reasons why we get these kind of partisan policies about how to count absentee ballots. I mean, counting absentee ballots in a rural part of the Upper Peninsula is not that big of an issue because there's not that many of them. In Detroit, it's a huge issue because there's tons of them. So, I mean, these policies have disparate uh, impacts across the state when they are are put into place. I I just kind of want to say that. Another part of Proposal 2 that I would highlight is it would allow for days of early voting. Technically, right now, we don't have early voting. We Mm -hmm. have absentee voting. Mm -hmm. You, You cast a ballot by mail. It's not opened until you know, election day or maybe a couple days before election, uh, the election, depending on what the legislature wants to do in that particular cycle. And uh, this would allow early voting. And there, there are some, there's some indication that that in itself might provide a boost to Republicans because Republicans are concerned about absentee ballots. This would provide another way for them to get their voters to go vote early. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. I want to go back to some of the audio that we have from uh, last night's debate and talk about uh, schools and the culture wars, which is something that I, I see coming up all the time on social media right now. Uh, governor Whitmer criticized recent attempts by Republicans to ban LGBTQ-themed books at schools across the state. Here's what she said.
3: Do you really think books are more dangerous than guns? Like, Do you really think that books pose a greater danger to our kids than gun violence does?
1: The governor there referring to Tudor Dixon's focus on the idea of more armed security at schools, but, but also saying that there need to be... Fewer books uh, in the in the libraries. Let's hear what Tudor Dixon had to say, uh, saying that sex should not be allowed. Discussing sex should not be allowed in school libraries.
3: What I've heard from parents across the state is inappropriate content in school libraries. That's the biggest concern that I'm hearing about. And we're talking about sexual content.
1: Okay, she says that's the biggest concern that she hears about from parents. I got to say, I talk to a lot of parents all the time about schools, and I don't hear that as much, but I'm probably running in different circles than Tudor Dixon. Uh, Craig, talk about this issue and how it has crept into uh, a race that, that probably six months ago we would not have assumed would feature this issue in this way.
2: Yeah, I mean, that moment last night, that exchange, that had been coming for a long time. And that had been in the works for multiple months. Tudor Dixon has, has been attempting, you know, has been focusing her campaign on this issue of giving parents more say in how schools operate. And talking about concerns about uh, pornographic materials in schools has been a, a, a real feature of her of her bid for governor. And she's been pressing for a direct response from Governor Whitmer on this governor whitmer uh gave her the most detailed response i've heard from her from the campaign t- to this focal point of uh Tutor dixon's bid and it was pretty interesting i mean she said governor whitmer said you know parents should have a say in curriculum and they do and there are parent-teacher conferences and parents have certain rights and then she kind of pivoted and said but we also can't uh advance policies that alienate people who might be LGBTQ or other children who might be having mental health struggles in our schools. We can't alienate these people, she said. And then she made the statement that you just played. It was a fascinating moment. And I would bet, I would wager that the way people react to that moment will say a lot about who they're voting for in this race. Hmm. Uh,
1: Certainly Republicans nationwide Have picked up on this issue and are pushing it in several races. Is it something that makes the Democrats and someone like Governor Whitmer vulnerable? Are our parents really concerned the way that Tudor Dixon is describing them uh, as being, uh, you know, uh, about what's in the school library?
2: I mean, there are some parents that, that are concerned about that. I mean, I've heard from them when I've gone to Senator Dixon's press conferences. I mean, she's had parents there that talk about this. Mm. We've seen some pretty explosive uh, school board meetings across the state where parents have showed up and made their case about this issue. Uh, Is it the biggest concern for the wide majority of voters going into this election? And there's no polling that indicates that, but she's trying to use it. Yes, I mean, what's happening here, she's trying to use this topic to get to this broader issue of parental involvement in schools. And whether she can do that and make that a driving force in this campaign, like Glenn Youngkin did in Virginia, where Mm -hmm. he won what is a blue state running on these issues. You know, that's going to be that's going to be a deciding factor in whether Tudor Dixon wins or loses. Yeah.
1: Okay, Uh, Craig Mugger, reporter with the Detroit News. Always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for uh, for coming by.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for your listeners questions, too. That was great. Thank you.
1: Okay. uh, Also, a small note, we have extended an invitation to the campaign of Republican nominee for Governor uh, Tudor Dixon to join us here on Detroit Today, as so many other candidates have, to talk about why she's running, what her ideas are, and why she wants uh, uh, people to vote for her. We have not gotten a yes yet, uh, but of course the offer stands. There's 13 more days in the campaign and we would still love to talk with uh, with Tudor Dixon okay that is going to do it for us today come back tomorrow when we're going to be talking with political reporter Gavin Bade about why Michigan is still a bellwether state and the issues that state residents are focused on as we get closer to November 8th this is 1019 WDETFM Detroit's NPR station your connection to news music and conversation We'll talk again tomorrow.